The reading is from Matthew uh, chapter 3, beginning to read at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Is anybody's New Year's resolution to get a new job? Hands up if anybody, maybe not, actually you might not want to tell other people. Is anyone's New Year's resolution to get a new job? Or if you're younger here today, what would your dream job be? What would you love to do when you grow up? When I was a little kid, I wanted to go and dig up dinosaur bones. Uh, And then I realized I couldn't be bothered to do that. It's far too hard work to go into the desert. But did you see the news the other week about a special pub landlord position? If you're looking for a new job this year, this could be for you. If anyone's looking for some steady work, you can go and live on a small island south of Barrow-in-Furness called Peel Island. The island's got a pub, the ruins of an old castle, and not much else. The only catch is if you decide to become the pub landlord, you basically have to run the whole island. You've got to make sure all the grass is mown. You've got to make sure that the castle doesn't fall down on a tourist. You've got to empty out the campsite toilets. Your job when you take on that pub is to run the island. You're basically a king or queen. The internet tells me now, before you sound, oh, king, queen, that sounds good. The internet does tell me that power outages are common, the weather can be pretty grim, and regular ferries only run from April to September. So once you're in, you're in. So taking on Peel Island is not for the faint-hearted. In fact, if you took on that job as your New Year's resolution, you'd be in for a complete life change. And that fact is recognized in a special initiation ritual. Basically, whoever runs the pub is named King or Queen of Peel Island. They sit in a special old chair And they go through a ceremony where someone gets a rusty old sword and pretends to knight them. And eventually, the ceremony ends with beer being poured over their head. Set aside your past life, this ritual says. Embrace your new life as monarch of this little 20 hectare island. For the next 10 years, this is your life. So here, have some beer. And in our passage, Jesus is going to undergo an initiation ritual too. As Pete said, our passage this morning announces the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. It comes after we've had a focus on John and his ministry in Matthew. John has been preparing the way for Jesus, Matthew says. 
Many have heard John's call of repentance and they've followed him to the Jordan River and there they have been baptized. They've gone under the water and they've been cleansed in the water. Jesus steps into this situation too and he joins them in this physical act of baptism. But Jesus' baptism is no ordinary act of baptism. You see, it's a turning point because from now on, John's importance will diminish and Jesus's will rise. He will move into his public role. He will move into the center of God's mission on earth. And this crucial passage, this baptism, is going to teach us about two things this morning. Firstly, the nature of God. And secondly, the nature of baptism. The nature of God and the nature of baptism. But before we look at those two things, let's first ask a question that the passage kind of poses itself. Why does Jesus get baptized? See, in verse 11, just before our passage, John has said, I baptize you with water for repentance. So why does Jesus get baptized? What does Jesus have to repent of? Why does he get baptized? Well, the answer can be found in verses 14 and 15. You see, notice how when Jesus comes for baptism, John is shocked. How can he baptize Jesus? It should be the other way around. You know, I need to be baptized by you, but you come to me, John says. John's going, what? what's going on here, Jesus? You see, I knew, I leapt in my mother's womb. We saw this a few weeks ago. When Mary finds out she's pregnant, she goes to stay with her cousin Elizabeth, and Elizabeth is pregnant, and Elizabeth is pregnant with John. And when John sees or feels the presence of Jesus, he leaps in his mother's womb. John knows that Jesus is special. But Jesus' response to John is to say, isn't to say, actually, you're right, John. Why have, why have I come to the river to be baptized? I am the Savior, and you are a prophet, sort of foreseeing figure. Why, why are you baptizing me? Yeah, let's swap round. I'll baptize you. He doesn't, does he? He says, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this. It is proper, John, for you to baptize me to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus said, I should be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Right, well, that's cleared that up. Okay, let's fulfill all righteousness then. But what does Jesus mean by fulfill all righteousness? Well, there are two main options given by commentators. On the one hand, possibly, it could mean it was necessary for Jesus to be baptized so that people could see that Jesus had done everything that John was telling people to do. Jesus had to be baptized to tick every righteousness box. You know, if if Jesus did this, then everyone else could say, okay, Jesus has been baptized too, so I'll listen to him because he's obviously holy. He's done what John has said we need to do. But Jesus didn't need to be baptized. Of course he didn't. He he didn't need to because he'd never done anything wrong. He'd, He'd committed no sins. He'd been perfectly good, obedient to the law, obedient to God his Father in every respect. But basically this argument is saying Jesus says he needs to do it to make sure he's ticked that box so that people can't say, he's trying to tell me what to do, but he hasn't been baptized. I have. I've been baptized, so I'm holier than Jesus. That's one option. The other option is that fulfilling all righteousness here means fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. Under, under this option, Jesus says, it's necessary for me to fulfill all righteousness. And what he means is, 
John, it's necessary for me to be baptized by you too, so that people can see that God is fulfilling Old Testament prophecy through me. After all, this is the moment when Jesus is being introduced to Israel, when he's coming into his teaching ministry as he begins his long walk to the cross. And it is clear that these verses are pointing to two particular places in the Old Testament. You see, the Father's words from heaven, they point to Psalm 2. And they point to Isaiah 42. They show people, you see, on the one hand, they show people that Jesus is the heir of David, referred to in Psalm 2. And then they refer to the fact that Jesus is the servant of the Lord that will rescue God's people in Isaiah 42. But, you know, I wonder whether we need to choose between these two options at all. I wonder whether it's possible for both of these options to be true. Could it not be that Jesus' baptism kind of serves to do both of these things? That, that on the one hand, it makes clear Jesus' dedication and obedience to God and to being holy and a holy life. And on the other hand, it also serves as a witness to fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And of course, it also serves as an example for us of what baptism is for. And that's our third point, so we'll come back to it more. But, but it's helpful here just to see that Jesus' baptism is a bit like a template or a blueprint for us too, to see what baptism is. So that's why Jesus was baptized, to tick every box, to fulfill Old Testament prophecy, and to example baptism to us. But what does Jesus' baptism teach us then about the nature of God? That's our first main point, but our, our second point really What does Jesus' baptism teach us about the nature of God? Well, in verses 16 and 17, we see engagement both from the Holy Spirit on the one hand and from the Father. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all present in one place here in Matthew 3. All three persons of God. All three persons of the Holy Trinity. And look, all three persons are... They're working together to achieve the one end that Jesus brought Jesus into the world, aren't they? See, after Jesus comes up and out of the water, after he has been baptized, he is empowered by the Spirit in verse 16. The Holy Spirit is empowering Jesus to fulfill his ministry. And then in verse 17, his ministry is approved by the Father. Jesus is approved by the Father. You see, the Holy Spirit empowers the Son to fulfill the ministry, and the Father approves the work of the Son in his ministry. And so the work of redemption is fully the working of the one God, the three persons in one united will. And notice how the Father is well pleased with the Son. Their relationship is a perfect one. God the Father doesn't say, you know what, I like you, Jesus, but this bit really annoys me. Or I like you, son, but you know, you are getting on my head a bit with this. Or please put that toy away because it keeps making that noise over and over and over again. The Father is pleased with the work of the Son. As he is always pleased with the Son, he is well pleased. As are all three parts of the Trinity of the Triune Godhead, they are always perfectly happy perfectly joyful and blessedly contented amongst themselves. So we see that Jesus' ministry is a ministry on behalf of the whole Trinity. You see, it's important to say what Jesus does, it isn't some rebel action, 
Like the son sneaks away, the father's really crossed, and the son says, oh, I'm going to sneak away and save people, but the father doesn't know anything about it. Or it's not like the father just agrees grumpily, fine, if you really want to go and save humanity, off you go, and I'll just go along with it grumpily. This is the perfect plan of the whole perfect, holy trinity, empowering Jesus and approving of his ministry as he goes on to his death and his resurrection and his glorification for us. You see, if we trust in Jesus, we are forgiven our sins. But what's more, we are brought into a loving relationship with the Father, adopted into that family as a son of the Father. And all because the Father and the Son already have that perfect relationship of love. And all out of their grace and mercy that they choose to share that love with us. And all through the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. This is a perfect Trinitarian work. So then, we've seen why Jesus was baptized. And we've seen what our passage teaches us about about the nature and the relationship of the Holy Trinity. Perfectly in agreement, perfectly joyful, and perfectly seeking to save us. And now we move on to our kind of third and our main point, really. What does our passage teach us about baptism itself? Well, our passage teaches two big things about baptism. Firstly, we have the, and I apologize, these are two clunky things, right? If you can think of more succinct ways of putting this, I'll be happy to accept them. Firstly, we have the idea of repentance and forgiveness of sins. And secondly, and this is the one where it's a bit embarrassing, really, we have the idea that baptism is a mark of sonship and a pledge of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you can think of a way of taking that down, I'm quite happy to accept that. Repentance and forgiveness of sins, baptism as a mark of sonship and a pledge of the Holy Spirit. Firstly, then, let's look at repentance and forgiveness of sins. See, John was baptizing people for repentance. That's what he said in verse 11. Jesus had never done anything wrong. He was sinless. But he chose to be baptized too. And in doing so, Jesus highlights to us that we need to be baptized in the future for us as Christians now. When we trust in Jesus, he, he reminds us that part of the purpose of being a Christian, part of the purpose of baptism is that we are sinners and we need repentance. And we cannot, we cannot have Christianity. We cannot have the idea of being followers of Jesus. We cannot have the idea of baptism without that integrally there, without that attached to it, the idea that we are sinners and we come to Jesus with repentance for forgiveness of sins. It's integral to the whole point. Now, of course, the water, the symbol of cleansing, it acts only as a witness to the one himself who went under that water, to Jesus. It's Jesus who takes away our sins. It isn't the water. You know, he's about to start off now. He's been under this water. He's come out, and he's about to start off on his ministry on his teaching and his miracle working. But that will ultimately lead not just to more teaching and not just to more miracle working, but it will lead to his death. It will lead to his resurrection. It leads to his sacrifice that brings that forgiveness and that brings that life for all those who believe and trust in him. But as well as pointing to the importance of repentance and forgiveness, our passage also points to the fact that baptism is also a mark of sonship and a pledge of the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, when Jesus emerges from the water, the Holy Spirit comes down on him. And the Father declares and blesses openly that Jesus is his son. 
in a similar way, because of Jesus, when we believe and when we are baptized as confirmation of that belief, we can firmly declare, we can firmly say that as Christians, we are children, we are sons and daughters of God. We are adopted into his family through his son and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. But what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? Well, it means that we have the Holy Spirit to help us too, just like Jesus did, to guide us through life and to make us more like Jesus. Jesus' ministry was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Our life is too. He will guide us through life. He will make us more like Jesus. He will help us resist temptation. And he will remind us of the good things of God when times are hard and the hope that we have in Jesus. Even when we are stuck, even when we are isolating, even in our darkest moments. And it means too that for us, just as much for Jesus, the Father is well pleased with us. It means that the Father looks down on us and says of us, Here is my beloved daughter. Here is my beloved son. I am well pleased with them. And that's true all the time that the Father thinks that. That's, the Father thinks that all the time. It's true when we mess up again and again. The Father thinks that of us. It's true when we're struggling, when we're suffering. The Father thinks that of us. Here is my beloved daughter. Here is my beloved son. It's true when we're despairing or when we're doubting about our faith. If we're really in Jesus, we are fully forgiven. We are fully a child of God. And through Jesus' death, we always have the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And we can always say, I'm in Jesus. I'm a beloved child of my heavenly father who is well pleased with me. Cling on to that truth when times are tough. Hold on to that truth. Whatever you face, however hard it seems, your father loves you. You are his beloved child. And baptism signifies too the new changed life that comes with this fact. From the moment Jesus came out of that water, his life would never be the same again. He came out and he was immediately, immediately, it says, driven into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. From then on, his ministry began, the ministry that ultimately led to his death. When the new landlord of the pub on Peel Island, it could be you, gets those buckets of beer poured on their head, their life will never be the same again. They will have a new life on that island. Their every hour, their every day, radically changed for 10 long years. It's a new life for that person. And the same goes for Christians. Our baptisms are signs and seals of the truth that we are beloved children of our Heavenly Father that we have repented of our past lives and we have come up out of the baptism longing to live a new life dedicated to him. And just like the person who takes on Peel Island, it doesn't just mean a transformed Sunday morning. It doesn't even just mean a transformed 40-hour week, but a transformed life. The new year gives us a helpful chance to reflect, doesn't it, on our new life in Christ. How are our lives in Christ going, these new lives that we have taken on? How have we found it in light of this last crazy year and a half of COVID, nearly two years? How have we found our life going as Christians, our new lives? Have we gone backwards? 
Have we stayed the same? Have, have we grown in our godliness through it all? Are we living like Jesus more and more? Maybe we've been on autopilot for a while or, or just felt ourselves slowly drifting away. You know, we're not reading the Bible as much as we used to or, or praying as much as we have been. Maybe now it's time to realize that, that, you know, we've wanted to do all sorts of things. So we had all these grand plans. I was going to, you know, we were going to host more in our house. We were going to um, get really involved in that area of ministry. I was going to speak to my, that member of my family or that work colleague or that friend about Jesus. And oh, with one thing and another, I've just, I've not managed to do it. I've just had to put it on the back burner. Well, maybe now is the time for us to recall our baptism to remember that from the moment Jesus came out of the Jordan River, he turned his face towards his ministry and never looked back. He went onwards where the Spirit led him, whether into the wilderness, whether to Jerusalem, and even to the cross. Will we go forward as he did this new year, in the strength of the Holy Spirit, trusting in Jesus as our Savior and growing more like him, always remembering that we are loved by our Father and praising him today as we've done this morning, as we did yesterday, and as we will forever. Why don't we stand and sing now, beholding our God of wondrous deeds and longing to adore him. <laughs>